This is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Dean Hennessy. Oh, what a goal! The Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The king of storage moving animals. Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football on Macquarie Radio, NTS News Talk Sport. Your Rob Gilbert and Dean Hennessy. First edition news with Willem van Denderen shortly. And while we're going to spend plenty of time looking at what was a wonderful Women's World Cup, off the top of the show, we're going to look at the momentous announcement this week by the FFA that it would review the controversial National Club Identity Policy, the NCIP, implemented in 2014. We're going to have a chat with former Melbourne Knights General Manager and Director John Segur, a man who's right in the middle of it and uh, and bleeds uh, for his club, representative of all of those ethnic-based clubs who were the foundation of football in this country. So it'll be great to talk to John about this, uh, this shift in times from those uh, controversial days in the foundation years of the A-League when John O'Neill uh, infamously said uh, those words, old soccer, new football. So those days, as is John O'Neill's tenure, are now on the scrap heap of history and we surge into a new era taking hopefully what will be the best of the old into a new era. We'll then head for the last time on his European odyssey to our man Michael Edgeley to discuss a couple of... Uh, Discussion points. The first of them will be uh, the uh, looming departure of FFA CEO David Gallup, who this week announced his resignation, um, I think before he was pushed, and uh, we will go through that in detail. Edge will also give us a detailed breakdown on uh, what's been, as I said off the top, a magnificent World Cup. Um, He is uh, ready to fire on all four cylinders on both subjects there in the second hour, as we always do. We're almost going to kick off with second edition news and the latest on Socceroos and Pararoos Central. Four weeks out from the Premier League, Richard Bayless from Opster Sports will preview uh, the upcoming season and the the latest in the transfer talk. Dino, Willem and I will uh, get right in the middle of the African Cup of Nations and the Copa America final and then Breathlessly, we will wrap it up with stoppage time and maybe look through our predictions for the Women's World Cup. Dino, uh, mate, um, great week. Uh, you start to miss the big tournaments. I know we talked to Tracy Holmes last week about that that sort of grieving yeah. period once the big tournament's over. Yeah, look, it's a bit of a hangover, but especially for all the major tournaments, what we endured this year, it's got to be the best, certainly in my lifetime. And I don't know if it'll ever ever be reproduced. I'm sure some of the drama all happened in a different way, but uh, it was just scary. Every, every time you got up early in the morning, you just knew you were, were going to be entertained. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to everything coming back to normal. G'day, Rob. Dean, as you mentioned off the top, David Gallup will resign as FFA Chief Executive after seven years in the job. Gallup's contract was due to expire late next year, but he'll now depart on December 31. Last week's ruling on the Independent A-League has significantly changed the role of the FFA and he won't be a part of the restructure. So, Willem, what's your thinking on this? I know Dean and I agree that um, it's not a moment too soon. No, I'm, I'm reasonably happy to see the back of him. I think the Independence decision last week was the circuit breaker and so now that role as head of the FFA will either be, well, be minimised, either he's not happy to stay around in a reduced role or they're not happy with him, probably a bit of column A, column B. Mm, exactly. All right, what's next? The National Club Identity Policy is a thing of the past, with the FFA announcing clubs can revert to their original names and use ethnic symbols. The NCIP will be replaced with the Inclusivity for Club Identity Policy, which will see mono-ethnic identifiers discouraged, but not illegal. The NCIP has been wildly unpopular since it was implemented in 2014, guys, and 
I think for mine it just suppressed so much history and culture that we have here in the game. As someone who's only followed the game in the A-League era, I'm really excited to see the re-emergence, if you like, of some of these clubs and their identities. Yeah, with well, your Dutch heritage is a magnificent uh, um, cultural thread through uh, through your bloodlines, um, as there is through, you know, uh, the Croatians, the Italians, the Greeks, uh, um, the um, the Israeli uh, teams as well. I mean, I, I know I'm missing out on many, Dino, but yeah. uh, the Serbians, um, you just name it, they're, they're all there. But look, it is, and uh, if you look back, I'm looking at the club I grew up at, Notts County. They were the oldest football club in the country, mm. uh, second to Nottingham Forest. Now, obviously, Notts County's got relegated in the National League, so mm. Nottingham Forest now have the mantle of that. But, you know, this is going into the 1800s, mm. and nothing's changed. They're not changing their names. Mm. And then all of a sudden, we do over here for, for some policy that they thought was a good idea right now. So I'm delighted that they get their names back, and they're proud of who they are, what they are, and what they stand for. So, for me, delightful with the, uh, delighted, sorry, with the decision. Gianni Infantino has stated he wants to increase the nations involved and double the prize money on offer at the next Women's World Cup. Infantino labelled the French edition the best Women's World Cup ever and wants to see 32 teams at the next one. There was 42.6 million Australian dollars on offer, and this looks set to double for 2023 to 84 million. That's uh, still not even a patch on the $570 million available at the men's tournament, but still a step in the right direction, gents. Yeah, uh, um, look, um, on, on one hand, it seems a little embarrassing, especially when they jack the men's up. Uh, you, you would think that the, the timing of the, the announcement uh, could yeah. have been handled a little bit better. And uh, but, uh, but look, uh, it's, it's heading in the right direction. No, look, I agree. I mean, uh, equal pay. I mean, again, it's, it's a hard... It's a hard a hard thing to actually manage at times. Um, but I think if you look at the Americans just as a, as a model for having equal play, pay, they're winning stuff, and the US national team for the men's aren't winning too many things. Mm, yeah. So, you know, why why aren't they? You know, they are basically the flagship of the USA yeah, in football. Yeah, well, let's, we all know it's about, to, you know, are the leagues and um, and, uh, and the, the women's competitions getting the return on... Uh, the investment that the men's are. We know that's not happening, but uh, times are changing. All right, thanks, Willem. A truncated version will obviously give you a lot longer in an hour or two for more news. John Segura, former general manager and director of the Melbourne Knights, after the break on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? The Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The king of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Box to Box. This is Rob Gilbert and Dean Hennessy. And... What a day uh, it is to be discussing our next story. Um, we've been uh, in the middle of uh, the Women's World Cup for the past month, two months even, but uh, in the past few weeks, uh, the great story that the FFA has uh, finally agreed to acknowledge uh, the uh, the right to Australian football clubs, to their ethnic backgrounds with club logos, names and identities. That is at least according to the draft version of the FFA's new club identity guidelines. So to talk to us, a man who is embedded in Australian football at every level, at the grassroots, and uh, one of the great uh, ethnic clubs, uh, general manager, director over his time, John Segur. I should welcome you as Josip Segur, um, given the subject we're talking about. John uh, from the Melbourne Knights, welcome to the show. Thanks uh, for the invite. I said to Dean I was going to uh, call you Yossip. He said, I've never called him that in my life. And, uh, <laughs> and I said, well, that's, actually, that's actually my father's name, so we'll leave that there. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, mate, well, uh, John, it's it's wonderful, isn't it, mate, uh, that um, all these years later um, that, 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 that football is reclaiming its heritage? 
Look, I, I think so, and I think it's all the clubs were asking for for the right to um, determine their own names. There's you know, nothing to say that any club's going to revert to its old name, but let uh, the clubs have that choice. I think really that's all the clubs wanted. So if you go back to when uh, you know John O'Neill famously uh, made that quote about um, old soccer and new football, uh, many felt like it was a you know a dagger in the heart of the uh, of the people that. Uh, that laid the pioneering groundwork of, of the game in Australia. Do, do you, if I take you back to to those days, uh, how, how did you feel at the time? Oh, look, it really was a toxic time in Australian football. Just the way that clubs got treated, the way the supporters got treated, the way members within clubs got treated, the volunteers that worked in clubs. It was, all these people were involved in the game because they love football. You know, it, it was a side issue, the politics of it all. That was just a side issue. But, you know, these people genuinely loved the game. And I think everyone felt that they copped a massive big kick in the face with, with what occurred back then. John, um, welcome to the show and thanks again for coming on. Um, I suppose I go back a long way, um, obviously, with my dad going to Melbourne Croatia the first year of the National League. The fact that the year before when uh, Melbourne Croatia were um, in the what was then the, like the State League, uh, as we know now the uh, National Premier League, uh, I made my debut against them. And so I've got a little bit of a soft spot for that because obviously there's two unique experiences that's happened to me and my family but when I look back at the old days the one thing I loved about it is that especially in the local game how big the crowds were and the support that they had from pretty well nearly all the teams in the competition Look it, it was quite extraordinary and taking Melbourne Croatia as an example was as a state league club we had two soccer roos playing for us and yeah, there was just a big vibe and, and happening around all the clubs I think at the time and Unfortunately, you know, I think to a certain degree we, we sort of lost track and lost direction of, of where the whole game was going. And United were all going to be stronger, there's no doubt about it. The A-League needs the community clubs there as much as the community clubs need a strong A-League. So I think if we get that formula right, where there's unity throughout the game, we're going to become unstoppable. With regards to the, the timing of when, we, we, just 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 take us back into the history of it, like from when the National League stopped, and then we had I don't know, it was it two or three years of hiatus where we didn't have anything. Then we had the A League. Do you think it was around that time where it started to become disconnected? Well, certainly as far as Melbourne Knights and and I include South Melbourne in this, but what what a lot of people don't realise that we were two clubs that weren't allowed back into the. Um, state competition at the time, Football Federation Victoria didn't let either club back in. We lost all our players and we had one year of not playing any games. Now I challenge many clubs out there of you know, what would happen to them in that situation. I think it's indicative of, of the strength of both clubs that we both remained focused. We both came back a year later in our respective state leagues and um, we, we survived and we've to a degree, we thrived. I mean, anyone that's around the Knights at the moment would, would sense that excitement around the club again, that, and especially now that we're in the last 32 of the FFA Cup. And, you know, last night we got into the final of the Doherty Cup, which, as a club, we've got a great history of, you know, of, of winning the Doherty Cup over, over many, many years. So, you know, it's an exciting time, and I, I think with, with the NCIP 
being raised, I think even what happened today, that uh, the announcement with David Gallup resigning as well as CEO, I think there's genuine belief now that that there is change and change for the positive. This is Box to Box on NTS News Talks, but we're talking to former General Manager and Director of the Melbourne Knights about the... Uh, the momentum change, the red letter day that uh, that is uh, the uh, announcement from the FFA that uh, that ethnic clubs who form the foundation of football in this country will be able, if they choose, to to reclaim their rights. So, um, obviously, as you say, this is a step into the future, and change uh, um, will hopefully mean a positive impact uh, um, in in um, the way that the uh, the cultures of, of our ethnic communities uh, blend into the uh, you know the traditional Anglo-Australian uh, culture that uh, that the FFA, when the A League was founded, tried to to develop. How how do you see the best of the old ethnic uh, uh, cultures and and um, atmospheres around clubs and the way clubs were run and styles of football played? Importantly, on on the pitch, uh, blending in what, with what the A League has become. So hopefully we can get the best of both worlds. I think the attraction in prior times, and uh, again, you know, the NFL is there, so I want to make it clear that there's not, from my perspective, there's, there's no return to the NFL. But I think just letting clubs evolve naturally like they do all over the world, you know, some clubs will become basically youth factories and push young players. Some, some clubs will pay the big dollars and want instant success. I think it's, you know, the attraction is that it will be up to the clubs to, to decide their own destiny to decide their own path. And, you know, that's where the second division, I think, is going to be crucial. And not only to have a second division with promotion and relegation to the A-League, but a second division that's going to be uh, enable clubs in the NPLs to, to get promoted into a second division that, you know, a, a small club in the fourth, fifth division of their respective state league today can dream and, and know the road and the pathway to get to a second division, potentially to get to an A-League. Why, why should we restrict anyone? In this country. John, I'll take you back to the uh, FFA Cup and congratulations getting through to the last 32 and obviously the Doherty Cup. Uh, I know the time I had at Hume, it was very exciting. So if you go deep into it, it'll be unbelievable. But I think that's most probably where it was highlighted. And I think you, your club was involved. Or I think Avondale, where we're having to put tape over certain logos. And you just go, what are we doing? Yeah, look, we're certainly involved in, I think it was the first or the second year of the FFA Cup where Melbourne Croatia Soccer Club, which is our social club arm of the club, wanted to be the shirt sponsor and FFA knocked us back on it. Now, we're fortunate as as a club that we have the backing of a couple of Australian-Croatian uh, associations, being one in Footscray and one in Geelong, where they're our sleeve sponsors. and. You know, they're sleeve sponsors because they put money into the club. They're, they're sleeve sponsors because they believe that, you know, they're, they're contributing, their dollars are going back into the community as such. And I, I challenge any business out there, come along, give us more money than what these guys are doing, and we'll gladly put your logo on the shirts. But, you know, these organisations stepped up in a time when it was probably hard to get sponsorship dollars at, at a local level. And, you know, we've thrived, we survived. And, you know, if anyone's been out to Summer Street, we've... We've managed to upkeep the stadium. It's a football-specific stadium, and I think people are going to be in for a massive surprise come the round of 32 when it's televised nationally that I think it's going to come up uh, looking at Peach on TV. And with the... Uh, we've discussed the, the imminent uh, arrival of 
the second division, which uh, Dino is heavily involved with. Um, you know, how many uh, years it takes, uh, uh, we don't know. But uh, obviously, the, uh, the the change in uh, promotion relegation, which will eventually uh, kick in, um, will dovetail into uh, this decision and uh, and and. What we're really looking for is, uh, as you said earlier in this conversation, John, the, uh, um, the the momentum to lift and 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 build, so that you know, as a football community, we stop shooting ourselves in the foot with uh, with decisions that um, that hold us back. Uh, that rather we, uh, we 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 move into a bright new future where we've got the best of, as I said earlier, what was the foundation days of football in this country with uh, with the best of the new. Yeah, for sure. Look, and I think, you know, just taking the NCIP on its own, that this this has been erased, doesn't achieve much in the overall picture of things. We, we've got to get the game right at all levels. You know, I'm of the belief there should be a transfer system within Australia with, between clubs. You know, we always talk about the high cost for juniors. I mean, the, the, having transfer fees and ha- having giving clubs the ability to sell a player and put that back into the club to maybe minimise the cost for kids within that club. I think that should; those sorts of things should be our goals. That should all be up for discussion at, at this time of change. Well, when we started off, John, in the days when I got here in 83, that's exactly how it was. And I remember having an opportunity to go to Heidelberg, of all places, and uh, basically I got priced out of it. But you know what? I still maintain it was still the best way, you know, and... and had I had an agent and they'd done it on the drip feed, I might have got the opportunity. But, you know, that's football. Sure. And, and, and that's why, you know, I just think we have a great opportunity now to get it right. We, we should look at football's best practices overseas of, of how the game has grown to, to such an extent overseas. And that's what we should be duplicating. And, and like I say, I, I just think there's, the timing is just right. There seems to be this sea change occurring within the game that... If we get this right, watch out AFL, watch out NRL. Well, good on you, John. Um, it's uh, one of those uh, long-hoped-for dreams of every football person in this country that uh, that football will, at the very least, stand alongside those juggernaut sports of the AFL and, and the NRL and uh, eventually, as populations grow and cultures grow and uh, you know the global village um, becomes smaller and smaller, that, um, that football takes its... Uh, its place as the ascendant um, sport in this country, which um, those of us in this studio and obviously you two believe that it will eventually come. Just how soon that happens um, is is the, the question for debate. John, thank you so much for coming on the show, mate. We'll look forward to, to travelling this journey into the future with you, mate, and, uh, and well done for being uh, such a, a, a passionate advocate for it uh, over so many years. Thanks for the opportunity, gents, and uh, have a great night. Cheers, John. John Segur, Cheers, John. Director and General Manager of the Melbourne Knights. Okay, well, we're going to flip over to Edge for one final time. He's. Uh, when's he coming back? Well, <laughs> if ever. Um, he's. Uh, I mean, Nigel's had that um, French uh, sort of uh, yeah. inflection going for some <laughs> oh. It actually is Edge. It is um, Edge. Yeah, but uh, but, we're, but what we're going to we're going to talk about the Women's World Cup and the wrap up and his whole take on it and where to from here. But um, but also the big news, um, as we said off the top of the show, that um, that David Gallup um, is yeah, um, big news. is uh, calling time and um, not a moment too soon. Uh, in, yeah, uh, I echo in those thoughts. So, um, yeah, we'll talk to Edge about all of that and his take on it from over there. Stick around. That's all next on Box to Box. 
Box to Box. Can you believe it? The Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The king of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal back of all. Box to Box and we're heading back over to France for the final time on... Our great mate Michael Edgley's Odyssey as he's uh, heading along the auto route edge. Um, are you looking forward to coming home, mate? Yeah, I've been away a long time, Rob. Can't wait to uh, get back home and in particular sit in the studio with you and Dean. And I uh, understand you're in Cozy Studio 5 tonight. Is it uh, nice and warm? It sure is. Well, remember it was where we did that the pilot all those years ago, so it's our lucky <laughs> studio. Ed. All those so, years ago, yeah. yeah. So, mate, um, David Gallup, we were going to um, do a double segment with you this evening, so we obviously want to get into the exciting uh, uh, reflections on what was uh, an amazing World Cup, and you were there every step of the way, but uh, the big news this week that David Gallup has fallen on his sword and will be, uh, um, not before time, in my view, um, leaving the FFA uh, so um, what's your reflections on the highs and lows of, of his time uh, over uh, seven years? Well, firstly, it's not a shock, is it, Rob? I, I don't think anyone was shocked that uh, David, uh, his tenure is coming to an end. Um, I think when it was decided that the A-League would split away uh, to an in- independent organisation, that's the A-League, the W-League and the Y-League, that uh, that uh, the role of the FFACA would change, would definitely change from a financial profile. So I'm not shocked. W- were you shocked, Rob? No, I wasn't, um, because uh, he's a sensible uh, person in many respects, and uh, regardless of whether you agree or disagree with uh, uh, his um, his tenure and the decisions he made over that time, uh, he uh, is also a person who knows how to sniff the pl- prevailing political wind. So I think he knew full well that he was going to be under a lot of scrutiny when he got back home. So uh, uh, for his own credibility and, uh, and future career's sake, it made uh, far more sense to make the decision himself. I'm sure it did. Um, so David Gallup, seven years as the CEO of the FFA, most of that time under the uh, serving under the leadership of Frank and Stephen Lowy. So he, um, you know, uh, I think there's probably uh, two ways to look at uh, his time. Uh, the, the, in the, under the Lowy era, he administered the game. Uh, we qualified for World Cups. Um, you know, Ange Postacoglu was appointed the, the coach of the Socceroos. Uh, the Westfield Matildas continue to grow in stature. The A-League, um, uh, in, in particular, David probably takes credit for the A-League, uh, the, the new TV deal that was done recently. So um, they're probably all the, the, the ticks and, and the, the achievements of his career, but uh, there's a few ticks in the negative side too, isn't there? And, and in particular, the last six months, um, uh, the difficulties he's had in explaining the... Uh, uh, the reasoning behind uh, the termination of uh, the former Matildas coach, Alan Stagic, that will uh, will well and truly be in people's memory when they reflect on David's time as CEO. But, but I mean, it, it, uh, and I think uh, where our discussion probably uh, needs to go is what type of person needs to lead the FFA from this point on. I think it's a, it's a really pivotal time in the future of our sport. Yeah, look, uh, I was going to ask that question, Edge. Um... From my point of view, I echo more or less what Rob said. Um, you know, I think it's time time to go and, and definitely change it. I, I couldn't see him moving on beyond this. Um, and obviously, the fact is, Wart, well, that's fine. I mean, you respect that decision. But you're quite right. It's really important now what type of CEO we get in next. You know, is it a football person with a football background? Or is it somebody that brings in a lot of qualities just outside of football, and he can also surround himself with football people around him. Or her, sir. Or her, yeah. Well, that's right. And we've been told that the new-look FFA is going to be focused on national teams and game development. 
Um, so a CEO is going to need to be strong in a number of areas. Obviously, the obvious one is is the, the ability to uh, to manage the finances. That's a critical component. Um, you know, we've often heard about the um, the many mouths to feed that the FFA talks about. Well, now it's a refined group of stakeholders that they need to, to, to manage and, uh, and, and drive. So that's obviously important. But probably more important is elite performance. So this new CEO needs to have in my view, um, very strong background in operating and governing uh, a successful elite performance structure. Uh, and, and, and this is probably a controversial thing. Soccer Twitter will probably explode, but I'm not in the camp that says this person, the CEO, needs to be a football person. I think they need to be the best person with the best skills. If they've got uh, decades of experience in delivering structure, governance structure, stakeholder management in elite performance areas. I'm talking about global elite performance in a very competitive environment. Um, they need to be considered. You know, I think that's the that's the big uh, the big ticket item. Um, commercial acumen in terms of driving TV rights for Socceroos, Matildas, uh, properties is, is very very important. As is the ability to unite stakeholders. There's a political component to this job, the stakeholder management of the Congress, as well as uh, the important uh, day-to-day uh, operations around federations and so forth. So this person needs to unite the tribes, understand what they're doing, and really sell a vision and strategy for the sport that we can all get behind. So, Edge, um, we've been doing this show for, what, four or five years now, and uh, and you and Dean come from a, a culture embedded in football in this uh, in this country, and uh, whilst I've personally been a you know a passionate football person for you know the last thirty years of my life, um, I, I didn't grow up in the culture, and I found that as passionate as I am about it, and okay, I'm not being briefed by the top level executives around the world, but we have had our finger on the pulse of the game pretty closely. That uh, that it, it it's still um, a challenge to really sink yourself into the DNA of the game in this country. And I just wonder if we, we don't go with somebody who has uh, the, 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 the very essence of football flowing through their veins, whether they're, uh, we're giving them a potential handicap before they even get started. I think it's a good point you raise, Rob, isn't it? But I think it's probably more about the person who, if it is a person that doesn't have a, a football pedigree that's you know rooted in the game, if, if, it, if it is a person... That doesn't have a, doesn't have that sort of connection to the game, but it'll be more about the credibility of what they've done in their in their um, career to that point. Um, you know that that'll be uh, that'll be a, a, as you rightly identify. Um, if the successful candidate is not from a football background, uh, that will be uh, an issue that they will need to address, um, and it probably comes down to the credibility of uh, the achievements in their career up until the point they're appointed the, the FFA CEO. So. Um, you know, we've had um, CEOs previously from outside of sport, um, and they've had uh, tenures for long periods of time. Ben Buckley and obviously uh, now David Gallup. So um, we've survived through that. The game's developed and moved forward. Um, you know, there, there is um, there's probably one item to throw back at you two is that um, I personally get really frustrated with this, and there is a number of uh, stakeholders in our sport that just want to tear the house down. They just want to burn the house down without really thinking about what's the outcome of that. Yeah. Um, so whoever, whoever this person is going forward, male or female, uh, football or non-football, they've got to be able to unite the tribes and we have to get behind them. We have to get behind them because without unity of purpose, we can't achieve anything. Well, look, I mean, for me, 
if you go back when I first arrived, I always thought it was, you know, I didn't know any different really, but I thought it was all really connected. And, you know, it was a bit rough and ready and, you know, the stadiums weren't what they are today, but it was real football and uh, everybody seemed to get on with it really, really well. And there was a really good connection. Like, you know, like they got the A-League with the MPL. They don't really know each other. Where in the old days, the State League or the Premier League of today knew the National League boys just as well because that's where they'd come from. And I think, I think we lost, we've lost track about how football is supposed to be. You know, and promotion and relegation has always been in all the major countries in the world, apart from the US and Australia. It's it's not been there, and and we're missing that. So I think if that person who's going to come in can see these real, real issues that we know are there. You know, we're talking about a second division. We know that's a tough gig. And I'm, I'm the first to know that. But at least let's have a party there and a working group that can make sure it works. Well, I think you're right. I mean, let's just reflect on what what Nico's agenda is at the moment, what he's what his board's working through. Is obviously they've achieved the new Congress. Um, they've achieved um, to a point anyway the the new league working group. Uh, it's been um, recommendations have gone to the board about the new A League. We know that the lowest common denominator to that. Uh, approval of, that, of those recommendations is that the FFA needs to be no worse off. We know that Ernst and Young are going to do a, a process to undertake a process to evaluate the, um, the financial implications of the new league working group's recommendations. We know that's got to go through, but you would think in time all of that's going to be worked out and there'll be an independent A-League. Um, we know that there's a, a, a second division working group um, that, you know, that is definitely an agenda item that wants to be achieved. And now we've got a transition in leadership and a new FFA. So there is a big agenda that board's working towards. And I know they get uh, uh, they get stones thrown at them from time to time, but it's a big change management process they're working through at the moment. And, uh, you know, they, uh, they've ticked, they're, they're, they're ticking boxes and they're getting things done. They might have been making mistakes along the way, but um, they are making progress along what's a very, very ambitious, ambitious agenda. So when it comes back to your point, Dean, about connecting the game, yeah, the, the new CEO needs to understand and embrace uh, the movement for that. And I think this new board has. So I don't think there'll be any more uh, barriers to that. It's more about how you do it and making the right decisions that commercially work for all parts of the game. Yeah, and Edge, um, we, we talked to, obviously, John Segur, former um, GM and director of uh, Melbourne Knights, about the announcement this week of the... Uh, the changes to the national club identity policy, which was uh, that controversial uh, decision implemented in 2014, and, uh, and and its legacy was the the old soccer, new football. So uh, into this new era where where diplomacy is going to be key, um, the the new CEO uh, waltzes, and uh, hopefully they'll have the capacity to to bring all the positives of those threads together, rather than uh, than have to dance over uh, eggshells to, uh, to to get anything done. Yeah, and that's a good development, isn't it? That's one of the items I missed off. Is the the, identif- the identity policy has been um, has been modified to suit the, the needs of our current environment, which is terrific. And uh, you know, regular listeners to the program will know that I call my club Alexander, and uh, I, I do that because of its uh, rich tradition and history in terms of the migrants from the northern part of the world. But the thing is, Edge, you're passionate about that, but but, but that's not your personal family heritage, is it? But you respect it and love it because of what it brought to your life. That's right. That's right. It's it's the the, the way I was embraced at that club and uh, when I participated in it. So it's a... um, 
you know, and I understand that that's the community that's uh, supported and uh, it's built the foundations for that club. It won't be the, the it won't be the community that's the future of that club, but it's definitely in its DNA and it needs to be acknowledged and respected. And we've talked about clubs all over the world who have um, ethnic uh, relationships, um, you know, whether that's in America or, or Europe. Um, you know, I don't think it's that we're a mature enough community to accept and acknowledge that. So uh, I think it's a great development. Well done to the FFA in, um, in um, you know, adjusting a policy uh, and a framework to see, suit the desires of the stakeholders. I think, it's, I think it's awesome. It is. All right, Edge, we'll uh, stick around because um, we're going to uh, continue this conversation after the break. Uh, uh, we're going to reflect on what USA, an amazing World Cup is. USA equal <laughs> pay. Equal pay. <laughs> All right, stand by, ladies and gentlemen, because uh, Michael will be there after the break to talk to us about what a wonderful time he's had in uh, France uh, for this magnificent World Cup. That's next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? The Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The king of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. This is Box to Box, and we continue our conversation with our mate Michael Edgeley. Uh, we've reviewed the politics and the departure, looming departure of David Gallup. But the uh, more interesting story to get our teeth into has been uh, the last six or so weeks as Edge has uh, traversed the wonderful country that is uh, France for, well, I think Edge, it's fair to say, the best uh, edition of the Women's World Cup since the, uh, the concept uh, got, uh, got off the ground. Absolutely, Rob. Um, the event was was fantastic. It was a real privilege, especially to uh, see the way the Americans wrapped up the event. Um, uh, obviously, a, a fitting final. Um, the rainy world champions versus the rainy European champions, and the USA were were too strong. Uh, that was uh, always predicted to be the case. But we just might reflect on the US. Um, four world uh, championships, four Olympic Games gold medals. Um, you know, a real powerhouse. And, and I think it's probably worth reflecting that I had a few American um, people who uh, who are really well-educated uh, in the way the Federation works over there is that the culture around female football in America has developed independently of the of the men's game. Um, and that is very evident to see when you, when you watch the way the Americans go about it. And there was uh, more than 25,000 Americans in the stadium in Leon um, creating fervent... Uh, support and atmosphere for their team. They are a power on and off the field, and they should be well and truly congratulated. Jill Ellis, uh, second time um, coach of her, her nation, uh, leading leading uh, the charge and winning the World Cup, and uh, to Megan Rapone, um and obviously Alex Alex Morgan, the two players that uh, were captains through the event. Uh, they they really did uh, well and truly get the job done and uh, carry the. The pressure that comes with being the favourites, and also some remarks to Donald Trump, which uh, which obviously drew a lot of attention from America. And uh, and you talk about controversy for the Matildas. What about Megan Rapone telling uh, Donald Trump that uh, she won't be accepting the invitation to the White House? So all of that in the background, they got the job done. They were really fantastic. Um, how did you see it from back in Australia, Rob? The, the American triumph, that is. Yeah, I think uh, it needs to be. Um well, that question needs to be responded to in two, two ways. One, the juggernaut, the amazing success story that is this incredible side. Uh, with that um, track record that you've just outlined, comfortably um, in the company of the greatest sports teams ever to play any sport, 
there can be no question over the the dynasty era that um, that they've presided over. So so uh, Jill Ellis, an, an amazing um, manager, and um, and and the various players in this current winning squad and, and the past, so they they deserve all the credit. The but inevitably is the style in which they um, they um, they uh, win their games. Uh, probably not the way uh, the words I'm looking for. They celebrate um, after after their, their wins. We know the Thailand story. Uh, we know the the sipping of the tea. Um, you know, I, I had no problems with Megan Rapinoe um, celebrating her goal after uh, it was scored in the final. Of course you are. It's a final. It's a, you know it's, this is a, you know um, everything's at stake. But uh, I, I just and I just don't think they get it as well. I, I've been reading a bit of. Uh, of American press, um, and and they're just continuing to defend the, the behaviour at every level. So, uh, you know, you can leave me out of that kind of behaviour. Um, I, I love their success and and give it credit where it's due, but I just don't like their attitude. I have um I have a well when you I'm gone sorry you, I was going to say I have a slightly no, no, slightly different view. Um, there's athletic arrogance, and we all know what that looks like. But then there's arrogance, and I think sometimes. The Americans border on, and I think you know that first game most probably spelt it out at its worst of the behaviour, you know, against Thailand. You know, what are you doing? What are you thinking you're doing? Um, but outside of that, if you go back, and I'm trying to compare Australia to the US, when I got here in '83 and I'd been there for four years, the game was maturing women's football. I had a girlfriend who was a footballer, and we were playing at tournaments at the same tournament, men's and women's. It was almost equal then. So the fact that that now goes on, what, nearly 35 years on, it's 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 a juggernaut that will get bigger and better because it, it's really got a grip hold. And I think until we put more resources into women's football in Australia, we're never, ever going to match it at the pointy end. We'll get to quarters, you might get to semis, but you're not going to go and win it unless we put more resources in. Absolutely, and I think that's the learning from me, um, just in terms of Rob's comments. I think they've got every right to celebrate uh, really hard their achievements. Um, I must admit, in France, you didn't get the same perspective of outrage over the Thailand uh, celebrations that you probably did uh, through the media uh, landscape, looking at it uh, in, in France, driving around, uh, you know, uh, picking up uh, the news items uh, when, you're, when you're sort of moving from city to city. It, it didn't sort of resonate. The, the, the one thing that did resonate was Rapone's comments about Trump and uh, equal pay and... Uh, and using uh, the platform that they've developed uh, for good rather than um, allowing Trump to to benefit from from the platform. They're, they're Megan Rapone's words. I think that was quite eloquent uh, in terms of you know her sophisticated approach, and she carried that through the tournament really well. It could have been a distraction for them, um, probably was, but they they were able to you know deal with that really well. But but um, you know you know Dean, you live there, you know the way the Americans celebrate. You know, it's an Olympic gold medal, or whether it's a, a baseball victory, um, you know they do go over the top in terms of their emotional reaction. There's a bit of a culture. When um, you were, we were watching the Americans cheer, uh, you know, for their team in a the crowd, they do it. You know, again, it's right over the top. Oh, it's, it is. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's further. So, so, so part of that is in their culture, and I think we just have to cop that because they're so good. But in terms of what I learned, you know, watching 20 odd women's uh, World Cup football matches over the past five weeks was that that Europe in particular had uh, it, it looks like they've moved past the Matildas uh, and that wasn't always the case so we need to have a good look at uh, the way we prepare the team um, the, you know what's the uh, optimum um, 
calendar for, for those uh, Matildas that are playing in America and Australia, um, the amount of game times they're, they're playing throughout the course of the year. Um, all of that is, uh, I think, for review, um, needs to have a really close look at. I don't think we were physically prepared as well as the European nations. I think we suffered from that. I think that needs to be looked at uh, in light of what is the global standard. And, and I, I just... Um, Edge, do you think saw, uh, any uh, of the, the fallout of the last six months uh, um, played a part in, in the Matildas' um, departure? Do you, do you uh, attach any of, of that controversy to the way the tournament played out? Well, I think the answer is... I mean, it's hypothetical, isn't it, Rob? It's only an mm. opinion. My opinion is that had a balanced stage being coach, we probably would have done worse because... I think we were on a tra- downward trajectory since the Asian Cup, so that's just my opinion. Um, uh, so maybe maybe Ante Militic uh, did a bit of a rescue job. You know, maybe you can make a case for that, maybe you can't. Uh, it's, a, it's a matter of opinion. Um, right. But what I did observe was what I saw, and what I saw was, was some really strong tactical, physical performances from teams like the Netherlands, teams like England, teams like Sweden, who were able to get through to the pointy end of the tournament. Um, where we weren't, and uh, and I think they had a well-rounded approach to it, physical preparation, tactical. I think their leagues um, are strong. Uh, they all play in uh, leagues that are 30, 32 games long. I mean, we've got a structural deficiency with our W League. Um, we've got a structural deficiency for those players that are just outside the Matildas. Where do they play? The NPL state competitions are, 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 are very inferior. You know, so there's all of those issues to consider in what's best for women's football going forward. And I think we need to do it really uh, quickly and we need to do it with a lot of um, impetus and we need to be prepared to make changes to ensure that we're putting structures in place that benefit the development of our players. And I note uh, with interest that Rob Sherman introduced a uh, Elite Pathways uh, review, but I'd also noted that there was no woman on that review and I also noted that the references to the women's game seemed pretty... Uh, pretty much an afterthought. I would have thought that uh, there's Definitely. more change needed in the development pathways for women than there is for men. We've got to and do I would that. Have thought that uh, I, I'm hoping that there's equal uh, equal energy and time is going into the men as well as the women's elite pathways review. Uh, I don't know whether Dean's got some comments about that. No, well, look, I, I definitely think that women should be included in everything at MPL level, um, in the B League, whatever we call that, championship, the A League. Everything's got to improve. It's got to be turned over, redeveloped, and put a lot of resources in it. What I want to do, because we've got to, we're tight for time now, Edge, but just on the the third place match, obviously England got beat to Sweden. But what was the what was the final like? Were you at the final and the third place game? Yeah, I went to all, both semi-finals, the third and fourth playoff, and the final. The final was just uh, as, a, as, a, as an event as spectacular as I've ever seen. Um, the atmosphere was just electric. You know, 25,000 Americans, and of those 25,000, 80%, 75 to 80% were women. There was just groups of uh, you know 16 to sort of 18 year old girls who'd obviously play football together with parents and coaches. You know, it was obviously holiday time in the US. Uh, there was just literally thousands of them there. They were well and truly kept up. It was an electric atmosphere. It was very hostile for the Netherlands. Um, and, you know, they uh, they enjoyed the party well and truly. It was a fantastic response to the, to the victory and it continued on outside the stadium. It was just a real privilege to be there and witness the power of women's football and what the US bring uh, to the market of women's football. And, uh, you know, I think uh, the only message that I would leave you on, I know we're tight for time, is that if Australia is lucky enough to secure the 2023 World Cup, it will be an unbelievable event, mm. an unbelievable event that uh, we've been all participating in. And uh, it would be 
such a, a turbo boost for the women's game in Australia. Yeah, I know. And for all of the criticism that uh, that I dish out, um, being one of the uh, those who, who do, doesn't like the arrogance uh, of the way the team celebrates, um, I give equal um, uh, praise to to the fans and and uh, the way that they embrace their side, and uh, and that's something that uh, that the rest of the world could. Uh, uh, take uh, a hell of a lot of notice of Edge. Uh, mate, listen, it's been fantastic uh, chatting to you every week uh, to follow follow the trip. Um, hopefully our listeners have uh, had a bit of a taste of it uh, on your journey, but uh, you're going to be back in um, chilly Melbourne uh, this time next week. And, uh, mate, um, well, what will we doing? We'll be planning for Qatar. Um, I think in, I'm waiting for your, uh, you know, the presents. Albert. You're not bringing presents back for the crew? No. <laughs> Well, if you ask for presents, you might not get them, but if you don't ask for them, you might. Oh, yeah, I, remember I just prefer to ask and put some pressure on. <laughs> All right, Edge. Well, you safe <laughs> travelling, mate. Uh, you uh, have a good trip back home. And we'll, I know what we'll... I've got, Rob. I've got Rob a stale baguette. <laughs> mate, I still eat that. I bet you it still tastes better than the ones we got here. <laughs> yeah. All right, see you, Edge. Goodbye, guys. Enjoy the show. Bye, bye, bye. bye for now. Okay, stick around because uh, News 2 is coming up next, including yeah. Socceroos and Pararoos Central. Optus Richard Bayless. We're only four weeks away from the Premier League. Um, that uh, is going to be a preview with uh, with Richard. Uh, the Europe, Af- African Cup of Nations and Copa America wrap up uh, and then stoppage time as we always do. So stick around. That's all coming up next on Box to Box. Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Dean Hennessy. Oh, what a goal! The Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The king of storage moving animals. Absolutely fantastic! Welcome back to Box to Box Second Edition News shortly with Willem van Denderen. Socceroos Central. We're going to have to probably get back to Matilda's Central soon, but we'll pass on that this week. The Pararoos Central in the middle of the Pararoos World Cup. We've been covering that the last few weeks and uh, excited to hear some results there. Richard Bayless, Optus Sports Richard Bayless, just four weeks away from the opening kick of the Premier League season. We're going to talk transfer news with Richard. Uh, we're going to talk African Cup of Nations and Copa America, and we'll wrap it up with stoppage time. We'll... Uh, We'll sort of roll around uh, the prediction file and see who finished on top of uh, of our World Cup uh, um, prognostications. So, Willem, fire away, son. Socceroos and Pararoos Central for the Green and Gold Army support the Oliroos in Thailand as they attempt to qualify for the 2020 Olympics with the Green and Gold Army. Unfortunately, the Pararoos uh, World Cup campaign hasn't gone to plan. They lost 7-0 to Ukraine in their opener last Sunday. However, Ukraine are the top-ranked nation in the world. In their second match, they went down 4-1 to Argentina, with 16-year-old Connor Bunce scoring on his World Cup debut. And as we record an hour into the third match, things are looking a little bit better. They lead Spain two goals to nil. We will also uh, congratulate Chris Pine on his 100th cap in that second match against Argentina. So congratulations there. Right, to go. We're shifting the momentum. Probably, you know, not enough. Um, even one result to, to go through to the the knockout stages, but um, but don't think it'll be enough. But it'll still yeah. be a really good result. Yeah, it would be beating Spain in any sport uh, with a round ball is a good uh, outcome. Now, I've been pumping this guy up on the show for a little while, guys, and for good reason, because Adam Taggart has rocketed to the top of the K-League scoring charts, having scored a brace for Suwon in their 3-2 win over Incheon. He has 10 goals from 17 appearances and, amazingly, is now in the frame to play for the K-League All-Stars against Juventus later this month. Well, he must have been injured at Brisbane for a spell because he, at times he looked pedestrian. Didn't he get that injury? Wasn't it Adelaide? 
Oh, he's always getting injured, well, but when like he's fit, groin. Oh, no, he look, plays, he's clever. He I mean, scores. he did well when he was at Fulham. So I know you've mentioned why you're such a fan um, in the past, but Willem, just just refresh us on uh, why you're the, the head of his fan club. I think of all the number nines floating in Australian football at the moment, he's the one who's got the complete package. You can play in the air. He's good. Uh, can hold the ball up. He's good with his feet. He can drop deep. I think he does it all. Whereas other players we've seen, such as Urich and McLaren, are good in one or two aspects, but lack otherwise. I think he's yeah the most rounded of the options going around. Fair enough. How old is he now? He's 25. Plenty of time ahead. Mm. That, that surprises me. He must have had a big paper round. <laughs> well, he won the Golden Boot at Newcastle at 19, so he's oh, been around for a while. <laughs> Alex Gersbach will join Mustafa Romini at Danish club AFC Aarhus, having left Dutch side NAC Breda. He negotiated his way out of Holland after they were relegated from the Eredivisie, despite having two years to go there. And Luke Bratton looks set to head to Turkey, having reportedly signed for Yeni Malatyaspor. He'd initially seemed headed for Sydney FC, but he'll have another crack in Europe, probably his last chance at 29, so good luck to Luke there. Yeah, Bratz is a good boy. I played against his dad, he played at Heidelberg, so uh, Edge was a big fan of his dad. To the Women's World Cup, uh, the USA clinched their fourth World Cup with a 2-0 win over the Netherlands on Monday. Megan Rapinoe and Rose Lavelle found the score sheet, and it would have been a few more if not for the exceptional goalkeeping of Sari van Wienendaal. After the, oh, at the victory parade, Rapinoe had this to say. This is my charge to everyone. We have to be better. We have to love more, hate less. We got to listen more and talk less. We got to know that this is everybody's responsibility. Every single person here. Every single person who's not here. Every single person who doesn't want to be here. Every single person who agrees and doesn't agree. It's our responsibility to make this world a better place. Listen more, talk less has probably not been a theme of Megan Rapinoe's World Cup. Guys, what did you make of it, Rob? It was a little bit convoluted. I, I think I get the point. Um, yeah, I think, I think uh, I you know, if we just go to the, the great man who uh, was, um, uh, you know, put on a cross 2,000 and something years ago, uh, um, do unto others, I think, is where she was sort of going. Yeah. But um, she just sort of got a little bit lost in the translation because... Uh, Old Megan um, is, um, you know, she's a, she's a firebrand herself and uh, doesn't mind giving as as good as she gets. But look, you know, personally, I don't care. It's it's like she's trying to get a nice point across. Yeah, yeah. My my concern with the Americans is more around their their, their arrogance in, in in defeat. I mean, we went through it all in the first hour. So uh, good luck to her. She's a multiple World Cup winner. You know. Yeah, well done. Winners can laugh, the losers can please themselves. Brazil are Copa America champions for the ninth time, having defeated Peru three one in the final. Amazingly, Brazil kept their record of having never lost at home intact. They won in 1919, 22, 49, 89, and now 2019. And it was the Gabriel Jesus show in the final, boys. He teed up the first, scored the second, and then cracked a proper tantrum when he was sent off on 70 minutes. Did you see what he did when he was sent off? He was kicking bottles. He pushed over the VAR monitor. He was in tears. And then after that, he said, I need to grow up. So at least he's a man who can uh, do self-reflection well because uh, (laughs) he was right. But in Brazil, that's pretty normal, isn't it? Absolute toys out the cut, wasn't it? (laughs) Because, well, he was probably just thinking, oh, my God. I am going to be known as the bloke that lost, lost us the first copper in the history of coppers in our country. I'm never going to live this down. So, um, I know. yeah, he got off the hook. <laughs> Dean, do we think the fans are officially back on side? Yeah, I, think, I think they were. Wow. Uh, they were. They were hard taskmasters early in the <laughs> tournament. Uh, the Oceania Football Federation could be facing liquidation after a judge in New Zealand ordered it to pay $380,000 to a contractor. 
the IFC owes six invoices to ESSL, who had worked on the home of football in Auckland. They must pay within 10 days, or the ESSL can apply to have them liquidated. Now, the home of football, of Oceanic Football in Auckland, was started in 2012. It was meant to have two pitches, a grandstand, offices, and an indoor futsal complex. So far, 518 million Australian has been spent. 518 million. Oh, 15.8 million. Sorry, Rob. <laughs> Sharp there. So that was on the stadium. <laughs> um, stage two started in 2014, hasn't been completed. FIFA cut funding long ago, and are, uh, they're investigating them themselves. Mm. Looks like a bit of a botch job from Oceania. Yeah, well, it sounds like. They're in a world of pain, aren't they? World of pain. Yeah, we'll have to look at this one further because, I mean, if it does happen and an entire confederation is liquidated, I mean, it might seem like a bit of a laugh right now. But no, not at all. They'd have, to call, they'd have to come into Asia, wouldn't they? Oh, mate, can you imagine um, Tahiti playing uh, Japan? <laughs> Nigeria and Senegal have advanced to the semi-finals of the Africa Cup of Nations, defeating Benin and South Africa, respectively. Nigeria scored their winner in the 89th minute via William Troost-Ekong after the South African keeper fails to deal with the corner. Senegal will face the winner of Madagascar and Tunisia on Monday morning our time. Nigeria face either the Ivory Coast or Algeria three hours well, that later. That Madagascar story is an amazing one, Fantastic, isn't it? Fantastic. Just a minnow of a nation in a, a continent uh, just brimming with football talent. So, uh, yeah, just watch that one if they, if they go through. That'll be a huge story um, if it happens. Uh, follow-up from a story we mentioned last week, Lionel Messi was sent off in the third-placed playoff at the Copa America. He's insinuated his comments following the semi-final may have had uh, something to do with him being sent off. Um, Comnabol have hit back, stating a fundamental pillar of fair play is to accept the results with loyalty and respect. Dino, as you said last week, it's all a bit sour grapes, but I feel a little bit sorry for Lionel. He's got a lot of pressure on his shoulders. Oh, look, he does, and he, you know, he most probably he's always going to be regarded as like is it him or is it um, Maradona that's the best Argentinian player of all time and you can only say in domestic football he's been absolutely outstanding but it's international it really hasn't he hasn't really cut it and and to be fair to Maradona he was outstanding and carried carried the team on his own even though they had some really good players to support him and yeah, there was a massive story around Daniel Sturridge I heard during the week. Yeah, um, the duck. So what, what's going on here? He's been reunited with his dog, Lucci, after three men broke into his home in Los Angeles. Uh, he took to Instagram and pleaded for the return of his Pomeranian. He offered £30,000 for its return, Dino. That's an expensive that's, dog. That's a decent quid, isn't yeah. it? A decent quid. Anyway, it's, it's all ended well. Yeah, but the, but you have you heard, though, um, that the, the rapper who returned his dog has called him out for not paying out on the $30,000. He said um, that uh, the um, the whole story was a lie because he only gave him £300. Uh, the local musician Foster Washington, rap, rapper named Killer Fame, has been on the tweet. So... Uh, He's not very happy what's, with What's Killer Flame doing nicking a dog, though? What's going well, on there? Well, my interpretation of this was that <laughs> hey? maybe Killer Fame knew the um, the, uh, the the crooks and uh, and they must have been in his so hood. He's, so, so he's, he's going to put the heavy on yeah, him yeah. and say, give us about that hound dog and, uh, and, <laughs> and, and, and they'll come up to 30,000. <laughs> and we're quids in. <laughs> yeah. 
All right, well done. We'll save a couple of these things for stoppage time because uh, we're going to have a chat to Richard Bayless uh, after the break because uh, um, the Women's World Cup's over. We've got about four weeks or three weeks at least before the yeah. um, championship starts, so that's good. And, um, you know, you can watch a bit of African Cup of Nations between now and then. Uh, but uh, Willem, uh, Richard is going to give us all the latest on the transfer news stories uh, on Box to Box after the break. Box to Box. Can you the Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, the king of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal Welcome of back all. back to Box to Box on NTS News Talk Sport. Now, who would have thought we are only four weeks away from the opening kick of the Premier League? In fact, the season's already begun in Europe with uh, uh, the European uh, games uh, on the continental level already uh, being played but a man who uh, was all over it last season and he's going to be all over it again every single week Optus Sports Richard Bayless welcome back to Box to Box mate Hello gents always good to be here It just feels like for for a country that has to put up with such a long off season with the A-League it seems like you barely (laughs) blink before the new season's on you uh, in Europe doesn't it mate? Yeah, it, it, it always feels a little bit weird, but uh, it's probably weirder to just not have any football at all. I mean, the calendar mm. now is just so stacked, and that's probably only going to fill up more with pre-season tours. And, you know, if, if the Champions League takes on this new form of the Super League or whatever it is, you know, it's all about getting more football on the calendar. But, you know, the Premier League, what, three and a half months off? It always feels like an age at the same time. You know, we're, we're four weeks out, and things are starting to ramp up off the pitch. And by the time we get there... I think everybody would have uh, waited long enough. Uh, Richard, welcome back to the show again. Um, it's funny, I was talking to my son today and we were just saying, like, the, the end of the uh, you know the, the Premier League, the end of the Champions League, the Europa Cup finals, all the excitement we had through that real back end last year. And now we're all of a sudden talking again now about who's going where, who signed with mm-hmm. who. It's just amazing, isn't it? You imagine as well, Dean, if you were, you know, a Liverpool player, let alone a fan, obviously, but, you know, if you're involved with, and Manchester City as well, you think of the depth that they had to dig into last season to succeed or to try to win silverware and how hard they had to push it. And, you know, what are they thinking at the moment, starting from ground zero? I mean, both of those clubs, they did have successful years, but Liverpool will be expected to go that step further and challenge Manchester City, while for City, knowing that Liverpool pushed them so hard, they can't stand still. We've already seen that as well. Pep Guardiola has made a couple of signings and there are signs that there will be a couple more come in as well. So, you know, nothing stands still at all in football. And, uh, you know, that at the moment is the transfer rumblings, which I think have actually been relatively quiet compared to, to what we usually see you know, with a couple of uh, international tournaments happening at the moment. But I think, you know, in the next week or two in particular, we'll see a fair bit more activity. And I wonder as well whether, you know, with Paul Pogba out here in Australia at the yeah, moment, whether that yeah. might be the first big domino to fall. That and also um, Lukaku as well. I mean, I think his agents were seen in London talking to representatives of getting a move over to Italy. So um, what, what, what's the most fascinating out of all the transfer uh, queries, let's call them at the moment? Have, have you been following anything in particular? Uh, it's sort of been hard to, to follow too many because, as we know at the moment, it's it's all about rumours. And what will normally happen, I think, there'll be a big domino to fall. And whether that's a, a Pogba, because then you look at a United needing to, to fill that midfield. I think what interests me most at the start of the window is probably what Manchester United were clearly trying to do in terms of their strategy. You know, usually what they've done in getting your Pogba's in, your Alexis Sanchez, or even your Lukaku to a lesser extent, 
is go for big name signings that are already established. That's been a problem though because they can't live up to the billing at United. So what they're doing now is to get young guys in, young local talent who have kind of proven themselves but still have a way to go. Daniel James from Swansea is lightning mm. quick. And then that one Bissaka from Crystal Palace is a very good fullback, but I don't think he's anywhere near the finished article. So it's shown that Manchester United are maybe starting to change their approach in the transfer market. So if Paul Pogba goes, then, you know, the big test then will be can they, you know, resist the urge to go and sign big name signings or can they, you know, plan for two, three, four years down the track? Um, you know, because I think that's the thing about the Premier League. You just kind of expect clubs to go and spend silly money so the longer it goes on the more likely that will happen but as we said before it hasn't hasn't really kicked off yet to the extent it would uh, and certainly you know the signings have been somewhat underwhelming and certainly if you're a Newcastle United fan as well you haven't had any signings so you know that's another thing to keep in mind. Well speaking of Newcastle <laughs> I was uh, listening to Talk Sport this afternoon and uh, Sam Allardyce uh, has uh, apparently been yeah. offered and knocked back the, the job uh, as the gaffer there. Yeah, and Steve Bruce, who's uh, at the moment at Sheffield Wednesday, looks like the most likely candidate to get that job, which, yeah, I mean, for Newcastle United, you have uh, Rafa Benitez, a manager who is one of the best in the world, albeit, uh, you know, a frustrated one Mm. when he was at the club until he left last month, and now you're sort of jumping back on the merry-go-round and seeing who's on there. I mean, Sam Allardyce, I feel like he's been at every club in England. (laughs) Steve Bruce has done a good job here and there, but, you know, is he really at the standard that Newcastle United fans would expect? That, to me... You know, considering they haven't made any signings as well, they're the only club to have not had anyone uh, in the door so far. That, to me, smacks of, you know, Mike Ashley, the owner, basically trying to not spend any money uh, while that club is for sale. We know it's a matter of time until they're sold, and usually what happens with that is that the owners, the current owners just won't spend any cash. So he's looking for a cut-price deal. Steve Bruce wouldn't particularly be expensive, but he's probably looking at it and thinking, you know, it's one more crack at the big time in the Premier League with a, with a very big club. So we'll keep an eye on that one. But if you're a Newcastle United fan, I, I honestly don't know how you get excited for the season. I think it's impossible. And I think if they go into the season, um, you know, without having made any kind of ripple in the transfer market, they're probably looking at a relegation fight. I think uh, with the Stevie Bruce one, um, I've met him a couple of times over the journey when he was playing at Birmingham and and also when he was middle, um, manager at uh, Hull. And um, he's a, he's from Newcastle, so he's a Newcastle lad. So I think this is pulling, maybe part of this might be just pulling his heartstrings going, well, this will be the last chance to go on, you know, for a team he supported as a kid. Yeah, you would think so. But I mean... It, you would then question how he then views it. You know, does he want to walk into a situation that is toxic or, you know, maybe he just has that area of the northeast people are very, very proud, as you know, Dan. They are, absolutely. That situation and, and say, you know what, I can, I can fix this. I can, you know, somehow bring that club back to what it's meant to be. And, you know, the frustrating thing about Newcastle United, there are three or four clubs in this category, is that it feels as though if someone walks in and just flicks on the right light switch, everything will work really well because mm-hmm. the... You know, the supporter base up there is insane. Uh, it's one of the, it's probably the favourite place I've ever seen a Premier League match just because of the support. It's right in the middle of the city and it just feels like it's an enormous club waiting to explode. But they just can't afford to flirt with relegation anymore. They've gone down twice. Both times I've been really lucky in coming straight back up, but that's really rare. You can't afford to do that often because it doesn't happen to most. Uh, Richard, talking about some other clubs, West Ham, obviously, uh, Arnautovic has now gone, gone for the big money. Uh, Everton look like they're busy in the market trying to get players. Um, Some of the teams that are pushing, like Wolves as well, pushing to try and get in that top six. Uh, How much activity have you noticed from them? 
Quite a bit. I think you know West Ham are in this kind of weird phase where they're they're trying to attract a very top level talent, or what you might expect to be. You know, they've made a few signings over the past couple of years uh, that would illustrate that, but they just can't quite make it tick. You know, another example of that would be if they get Gonzalo Higuain in. That's the latest rumor. You know, he'd be theoretically a perfect signing for them because he's no longer at the peak of his powers. The club, though, that to answer your question, the club that have really interested me, and I was keen to keep an eye on them from last season is Leicester, because, you know, Leicester have got four or five young players. You know, they obviously need to ward off interest in, uh, in the Madisons of the world. They won't Harry hold Maguire on to Harry Maguire. Well. Yeah. yeah, Harry Maguire, you think, would probably go to one of the Manchester clubs. But, you know, if they can hold on to the rest of that young talent, they've just signed Yuri Tillemans, who is a fantastic player. Getting uh, Jose Perez is another one for them and, and another dagger uh, for Newcastle United. But they're a club under Brennan Rodgers that... You kind of just expect that they need to be at the front of that queue, don't they? For you know your West Ham's and Everton's, you know, there's no excuse for them not to have a really good season. I think. And uh, sorry, uh, what about um, the the talk around Gareth Bale? Uh, there, uh, there seems to uh, to constantly be discussion around uh, his disaffection in Spain and uh, and every club coming out after him. Uh, would he be a good fit for, for Manchester United or, or would it just be another uh, one of the, the blockbuster signings on, on that um, what seems to have been a never-ending merry-go-round? Yeah, I think, I think this is a really interesting line-in-the-sand moment for Manchester United because you know this would go against what they've set out as their new transfer policy, which is to identify young players that won't cost them too much and hence the expectation won't be unrealistic from day one. I think if you, and go, if you go and get Gareth Bale, who was once the most expensive footballer in the world that expectation immediately is going to be huge. The biggest problem for Bale, and you know, Zinedine Zidane has spent so much cash already at uh, Real Madrid, which has brought the necessity to get rid of all these players. But the problem is that no one is willing to pay probably even half of what Gareth Bale is on. He's meant to be on something like 650 grand a week at uh, Real Madrid. So if you're him, why wouldn't you take a cut price deal is the question I would probably ask. But... Also, if you're a club trying to sign him, the risk with that seems to be so huge. And I don't think it would really fit with what Manchester United seem to want to do long term. But then again, if they lose Paul Pogba and they've got money to spend and they get desperate, this will be the real question for them, whether they go for someone like a bail. All right, Richard. Now, Tottenham Hotspur. They haven't been in the transfer market for a long, long time. The ground's obviously outstanding. They got to the Champions League final, finished third. What's in store? Oh, did they, yeah, they finished third or fourth? I can't remember. I think it was third. Was it third or fourth? I can't remember. Ah, God, so long ago. No, now, they were third or fourth, fourth, definitely. Third or fourth, yeah. Anyway, so where do you think they're at? Because I think they need a freshen up in certain positions. Yeah, and they're far more um, you know active in the market. I, I suppose they had to be by default, having not bought anyone for a couple of years. But you know, getting Tengar and Ballet from uh, Undombele, I should say, from Leon. Yeah. You know. That's at least a sign that they're willing to improve in areas where they've been pretty weak. I mean, they've got Jack Clark from Leeds as well and sent him straight back to Leeds. Uh, as a Leeds fan, you know, I was obviously disappointed in seeing Clark go to Tottenham, but it's kind of the best of both worlds because Tottenham are planning for the future. They're still identifying young talent, and if they can hold on to Maurizio Pochettino, that's what they're kind of all about. So I think Tottenham, there's pretty much the only reason they've held on to Pochettino is the fact that he would have said to them, look, I this is a great house, but it needs furniture in it. That's exactly the, yeah, the analogy he used last year. And having taken them all the way to a Champions League final against the odds, he would have, I assume, said to them point blank, look, that's not possible again with this playing squad. The fact they got there was a miracle in a Especially season. Especially after of the big start clubs, they had and finishing. Yeah, exa- exactly right. They, they were one point after three games. A lot of big clubs sort of dropped off. 
So there are clubs to keep an eye on. If they're seriously willing and Daniel Levy's willing to, to dip into his pockets, which he hasn't done really before, the owner, if they can go and do that, then finally Tottenham will have arrived, I think, uh, in setting out their stall as champions potentially. But otherwise, they're just not quite going to compete with the top few. Richard, mate, you're always generous with your time. Um, we encourage all of our uh, listeners for no other reason than doing yourself a favour to if you haven't already downloaded the Optus Sports app for I mean I, I listen to uh, uh, like Dean does talk sport and no doubt you do as well mate uh, the cost of of uh, paying for football in the UK to get the Premier League to get uh, the uh, Champions League you're up for over a hundred pounds Whereas we can get everything for about 15 bucks a month. It just seems ridiculous that anyone wouldn't throw that spare change at, um, at a subscription so they can watch all the games. So um, get, get on board and, uh, as the great Molly Meldrum said, do yourself a favour. <laughs> Maybe we should get Molly on to, uh, to sell it for us, actually. But it is fascinating when you talk about it like that, Rob, because, you know, over in the UK, and, and Dean, you know this probably better than anyone, but it's so hard to watch live football. And, you know, we do get a little bit spoiled here. I mean, I think the real fans can obviously tolerate the fact time zone's not ideal, but, uh, you know, well, we do what we have to do to, uh, to watch the best football on the planet. And watch plenty of mini-matches when you want to see Yeah, they're great. Exactly. <laughs> all right, mate. Hey, Richard. Uh, look, we'll chat to you again real soon, mate. But uh, but thanks again for that little snapshot. Uh, we're all sort of um, counting the days until the season starts. So uh, yeah, we're looking forward to, to our next conversation when most likely it will have started. Big time, guys. All the best. Good to yeah. chat. Thanks, Richard. The sports, Richard Bayless. All right, we're going to uh, go through the. Uh, for a bit of Europe, but the African Cup of Nations really at the point here. It the is. America final. Brazil did it again. Uh, and, um, yeah, whatever else comes to mind after the break on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? The Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The king of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Of course, is a Box to Box, gentlemen. We are going to talk... Uh, Copper America and uh, African Cup of Nations in a little more detail. But before we do, uh, right now, you've got to get along to Chemist Warehouse. Live, look and feel well with massive savings on all the big brands in the Chemist Warehouse July House of Wellness catalogue. Like Mercinophon 12 tablets, just $3.99. Benadryl, Jesty Ford, right in the middle of winter. What? Home would not be complete without the 200ml bottle for $9.99. And Rhino Court Hay Fever, 120 doses, just $14.99. So for the biggest brands at the lowest prices, you've got to get home to Chemist Warehouse. The great savings every single day. Why would you pay more, gentlemen? Because uh, there's sniffles and colds in this studio that I know. You uh, want to get into Chemist Warehouse to buy all of the medications that you need to make you and your family feel just that little bit better. Chemist Warehouse, lowest prices every single day. Why would you pay more, Willem? What do you go for us? Who wouldn't? Uh, we're going to start with the Copper America, Dean. Yeah, we'll start off with, uh, well, from last week's show, the semi-finals. And uh, Brazil beat Argentina uh, with Gabriel Jesus. And also from, obviously, uh, Manchester City. And uh, Bobby Firmino in the 71st minute made easy work of it. And uh, for me, um, again, a disappointment for Lionel Messi in a, in a semi-final. 
Yeah, again, it's disappointing. I've said before, I think it's just unfortunate that he's got so many good teammates around him who seem to look to him to be the leader if they could all play his role. And he could be the cream on top. And as we mentioned before, he made some unsavoury comments that there was perhaps a conspiracy to have him sent off. I'm not sure there's any merit in that. But another... Well, the good thing about the copper is it seems to come around every second year. So yeah, what's Lionel 31? Mm. Could still have another cracks in him. So 31. So what's he got left in him? Uh, he's got Qatar World Cup if uh, Argentina... So the, They should the, get there. So either you would think that they'll get there, but what I'm saying is uh, uh, Ronaldo has sort of led him at every turn. He's uh, he's gone to multiple clubs. He's uh, uh, was heavily involved, even though he was injured in that final of the Euros last time yeah. you know, when Portugal won. Um, so uh, Lionel really he, he he needs that next World Cup uh, to to fulfil. Look, the, I think it would be I think it would be a shame that Maradona did it to every World Cup, mm. even when he was coming back from the drug bust that mm. he'd been on. He even scored in the first game mm. he played in that mm. tournament. But Lionel's never really done it at that level, and it's a shame because he's such a talent, mm. and 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 it's most probably baffling him him as much as it's baffling anybody. But you're the uh, the the professional football amongst us, Dean. Uh, are there some elite players who can only perform? Um, with other elite players around them. I mean, there, there, there's some elite players that can, can bring other players into the game, but there are others that, if every sport, that only seem to be able to, 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 to perform at the peak of their powers when, when they're playing with, with you know, geniuses of maybe, you know, a slightly similar tier. Well, you look at, you look at, I mean, I think the game's mental. You know, it's all the mental space. All your decisions come from your brain and it's how you prepare and you go and, apply your trade of what whatever position you play the what the, the telling performance for me was Lionel Messi at Anfield where he couldn't really he had a couple of good chances mm-hmm. couldn't finish and some of it was good defending or good pressure mm-hmm. but I think under enormous pressure mm-hmm. and he's again feels like he's the pioneer he's got to do all the work they didn't show up they went to sleep I mean it was schoolboy stuff we're for some of the, the Champions League. Yeah, Champions League semi final. I mean, you know, and, and Liverpool coming back from coming back from 3 0 down, you know, and they look good when they're going 1 0 up, 2 0 up, and it's party time. Mm. But then when they're under the cosh, can they actually fight back and get back in it? Do you think it's fair that they look to a number nine to get a team back in it? Should then, you know, the central midfielders not be digging a little bit deeper? Oh, look, it, clear their lines? If, for me, if you just look at Manchester City as two clubs mm-hmm. or even countries, the best countries have a decent back four, decent midfield, decent forward line. They're not reliant on anything and also a good goalkeeper. And and you need a full team. You, you carry two players in a team and you're going to struggle. Yeah, and that mm-hmm. comes back to the imbalance, which I think Argentina have suffered from. Problem for Messi going forward is they'll be, as he gets older, they'll be relying yeah. on him. He'll be able to do less and less. Now, the other semi-final, Chile went in really hot favourites, but got turned over with Flores uh, in the 21st, Yotam in the 28th, and then Guerrero in the 91st. So it was absolutely against the, the, the odds because they went in hot favourites that they were going to make it. So, again, it could be just one of those reactions where we've just got to show up and we'll get into the final. Yeah, but as we saw as Australian fans, Peru are a serious, mm. serious side. Oh, the they minute. are. Um, I thought they absolutely deserved their spot in the final, turned over Chile very comfortably. So then, obviously, um, the third place, I mean, we won't go, we'll go quickly. Argentina and Chile, Aguero, Dybala and, and Messi. And then Medell and Messi red on 37. And Vidal scored the goal for um, Chile, so 2-1. Mm-hmm. And uh, the final. Um, I know you've, we've covered this earlier, but uh, Sosa Cerez scored... Uh, 
from uh, Cromero in, uh, in in Brazil. Uh, Gabriel Jesus, Manchester City, 48th minute goal, but also a red in the yep. 70th minute. The boy Richarlison, who I thought did really well at Everton last Fantastic year, player, yeah, yeah, like him, he got a 90-minute pen, and um, the ever-present Aguero scored again for Peru to to get them through. So, um, and that, they they did it all in the absence of Neymar. Yeah, they did. Gabriel Jesus, Richarlison, the young players. So this is a new new, new generation era for Brazil. The last uh, generation was a little bit broken, as we've seen at previous tournaments. So this is a refreshing for Brazilian football. And you've got Neymar. Let's just talk about Neymar for a minute, not showing up at pre-season training. Interesting. Angling for a move. Well, yeah, but that's not the way you do it. No, Pog- not at all. Pogba wants a move, but he's flying to Australia. He's in Perth at the minute. Yeah. Um, so, you know, what's it all about? He Neymar does not promote being a good professional footballer. Not in the slightest, for mine. Yeah, I agree with me him. too. Yeah, and then he, and Neymar Senior, his father and manager, comes out and says that the club knew and it was for the Neymar Foundation and it was a charitable affair. Well, why would you find yourself at odds with one of the biggest sporting organisations in the world who are paying you multi, multi-million dollars uh, if, um, if you... If, you had communicated to them. Surely they're not going to throw you under the bus if you had. To. So it, was, uh, it just seems like the old man defending the petulant son who um, is just so far ahead of himself that uh, he's, um, you know, in, in the next week. Um, Neymar, you can leave me out of him. I agree, Rob. They paid more money for him than any club's ever paid. For any player, by a considerable margin, he needs to... Well, it looks like he won't, but he should have repaid a lot more on that investment than he has. Oh, I just thought he took the soft option going there in the first place. Yeah, I mean, me too. Yeah. Play um, in that league when you, you're meant to be one of the best players in the world. Uh, you know. And you know what most probably is more defining? His performance in the World Cup, mm. where he's diving around and you've got yep. kids mm. imitating it, like having a laugh mm. at his expense. How embarrassing would that be, mm. really? You know, when there, were, there was a whistle blown and then everyone would start everyone diving around over, rolling yeah. Hmm. It's it's pathetic. Anyway, let's move off on from Neymar. We didn't do much about the Gold Cup, but it was a, it was a tournament um, that came around at another one that gets in between the Copa and the African nations. So just to give you a little background, uh, the quarterfinals were Haiti uh, beating Canada 3-2. Mexico and Costa Rica drew 1-1, but Mexico won on penalties 5-4. Jamaica beat Panama, which then got us to the, um, to the semi-finals. And the semi-finals... Um, Actually, sorry, I missed the American one. The American quarterfinal was played on the next day. They played uh, Curiaso, and I'd never actually heard of that country. Nor had I, don't know. Do you know where they're from, Willem? I've just been doing a little bit of research. Yeah. They're a Dutch Caribbean island. Dutch Caribbean, so you'd be up against it. Now, yeah. now so any other little bits Our of... capital is Willemstad. Willemstad. So some sort of now, it's got to be one Russian of your, cross there. Must be one of your favourite yeah. teams now. Well, you Dutchies were <laughs> conquerors and colonists in your own right, so... Um, First to Australia, I believe, yeah, well, Willem Jans, wasn't it? Um, but I, 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 there were some um, indigenous people here who were a little oh, uh, a first while European, before then. Yeah. Of course, first yeah. Europeans too. <laughs> no, excuse me. So obviously we then get to the semis. Jamaica uh, against the USA. Uh, Nicholson scored for um, for Jamaica. Uh, McKenna scored in the ninth minute. And Pulisic, who's gone to Chelsea, he's the new signing at Chelsea. He's got scored in the 52nd and 87th minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other semi-final was Haiti and Mexico with uh, Raul Jimenez in the 93rd minute after extra time, which then brought Mexico and the USA to the final, of which Mexico score, uh, scored the winner in the 73rd minute with Jonathan De Santos. And that was the Gold Cup. Did you enjoy the Gold Cup, Dana? Um, I didn't watch any of it. 
I did actually. I saw one highlight reel of one of the goals, which was a cracker. But other than that, not much interest. All right, boys. Well, that wraps it up. I think it's a comprehensive uh, look at the uh, um, African Cup of Nations. Um, we'll be, we'll, we'll, the final have been played by next week. It does go for a long, long time, the African Cup of Nations, so we're not sure about that. So we'll, we'll let you know next week. Um, and we'll start to revert back to, to our, our European predictions, I think. Yeah, there's lots yeah. to do. We've, yeah. we've got right. to do our predictions for all of those leagues as well. Okay. So, well, so there's we'll, plenty to do. Okay. Well, the next week might be a slightly disrupted show because... Uh, um, even though Edge will be back, there's the, the, we're not we're not um, uh, sort of abandoning him or abandoning you, uh, Willem and Nigel. But uh, um, Dean and I m- uh, may not be here next week, so Edge might have to call someone like Francis off the bench to, uh, yeah, to good, run the good show. Substitutes. So we'll start doing the tips the following week. Speaking of tips, stoppage time is next, and Dean, you've got the roundup from the women's we World have, Cup. and very very interesting indeed. Ah, exactly, because I, I did I was feeling good towards the end, making some bold uh, upset predictions. So I'm sort of feeling that I might have uh, sort of come home with a wet sail. So uh, let's find out if that happened after the break on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? The Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The king of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. This is Box to Box. There are nine minutes, according to the fourth official, remaining and some of those minutes will be spent reflecting on the African Cup of Nations, which while I did say we had talked about it, obviously we had not, because Willem has got a couple of points to make about that wonderful tournament. Uh, however, before we do, I want to talk to you about some other wonderful people at Storage King. They are the kings of storage moving and more. I saw some footage this week when I was working with my friends down at uh, WTFN Television uh, and uh, there are some homes which are seriously in need of um, a bit of a tidy up. And the place to go when you need a tidy up is Storage King. Of course it is, because they are the people who've got the answers. They've got the storage space, they've got the storage boxes, they've got all of the tape, the packing materials that you need, they've got the right price as well, and most importantly, they've got the right staff to give you the advice. So get on to storageking.com.au, find your nearest store. Your great family memories will be safe and secure when you need them, and you will have a home which is decluttered. So go to Storage King, solve your problems, find them at storageking.com.au. They are the kings of storage, moving in more, Willem. Certainly are, Rob. <laughs> Thank you, Nigel, as he fades out there. So we will quickly touch on the African Cup of Nations. We're at the quarterfinal stage. Senegal uh, defeated Benin 1-0, Sadio Mane pulling the strings there. Nigeria overcame South Africa, the Bafana Bafana, late uh, with 2-1. Uh, the South African keeper failed to deal with a cross he should have, and Nigeria are through. Uh, in the early hours of Friday morning, we will have Ivory Coast and Algeria, and Madagascar, who have done a fantastic job to get there, and Tunisia. And when I say early hours, I actually meant 5pm and 8pm, so reasonably friendly times in Australia. And we'll then go to the semi-finals. Senegal uh, and Nigeria are through. And to the goal scorers, it's a bit of a tide at the top in the field. Adam Unis, who of course plays for Napoli, has three goals for Algeria, as does Cedric Bukumbu for Congo, Odian Agalo for Nigeria, used to play for Watford, and Sadio Mane, who of course plays for Liverpool with Senegal. Rob? Yes, well, um, he has been a, a, um, a wonderful part of that uh, triple strike force of, uh, of Liverpool and uh, sometimes doesn't get the uh, uh, the kudos that he deserves because he has um, performed on the biggest of big stages uh, for Liverpool when, uh, well, not necessarily Firmino or, or um, Mo Salah have been uh, uh, 
not firing, but it's just been that he's been the the man who stepped up at the, at the time. He's a brilliant player, Money. How good has Divock Origi been, though, at the back end of the season? Now yeah. just signed a brand new long-term deal. Yeah. Massive that. And obviously Daniel Sturridge going out the other way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, the, well, that's the sense that you get right now, that that it would be an injustice if Liverpool didn't break the drought with this present squad. Yeah. They've got a, a brilliant... Um, atmosphere or culture around that club uh, uh, Jurgen Klopp just gets the place um, you know we regularly talk to our men uh, George Sefton the yeah, voice of Anfield who have been privileged to have as part of this program he's uh, he's football royalty um, and uh, and um, we'll remember the days that we had him on uh, in in future years but uh, uh, yeah you just got to think I hope I know I'm speaking with my heart on my sleeve here that Liverpool can get the job done yeah look I, I still so. think the two horse race with Tottenham maybe Shortening the gap. Uh, Chelsea's going to be difficult. New manager, not that experienced. Not that I don't think he's a good manager, but obviously no financial um, windows for two two windows they can't buy players. So it's going to be tough, but they've got an experienced team. I do hope Frank Lampard steps up. Yeah, I mean, me I've got no love me lost too. for Chelsea. No, but, uh, but you want to see there's some of these legendary players come yeah. up and advance the, the, uh, their reputation by, um, by converting... Um, their brilliance yeah. um, into uh, to. Well, they've only really lost Hazard, so that's not much loss, is it? <laughs> <laughs> hey, yeah, just one player. I think we were talking about that last. Now, week. what we've what we haven't talked about is the Women's World Cup uh, predictions that we all made. Yes. So I'll give you a little bit of context behind it. Um, it's similar to the other ones we do for the Premier League, for the uh, Champions League. We've done the World Cup for the men's. So by all means, we obviously went with the women's as well. So the rules of engagement were there was obviously. Seven um, seven groups, sorry, six groups. My my apologies. And where you finished in the in the actual table, you would get three points for a correct position. And if you had the top two that were in the top two but in the wrong place, you would get two each because at least you've got them in the top two. And if you got it wrong, you got nothing. But what we decided as well to really make it tasty, we decided that if you got one group and you got it in exactly the right places, you got a bonus six points, which was the reason for who won the competition. That individual did it very, very well. So I'll just give you a bit of context. <clears throat> just for one, like, it, we'll just use one one group. Um... And it was the, we'll use this, this was the uh, Group D, and it was England, Japan, Argentina, and Scotland, and that was 12, plus Edge got an extra bonus six. <coughs> Excuse me. Rob got six, I got six, and Willem got six. Now, we've also got another character who joined, mm. which is our boy, our boy, Del boy, Derek. Oh, right? yeah, Derek, he's on holidays. <laughs> up in, uh... So, Derek, in his wisdom, he didn't do quite so well in... Uh, in, in Group D, he only got four. But this is where this is okay. where. Hold off the the drum roll for a little while. <laughs> this is where it goes be... now. So we'll go in fifth position, right? So we'll start off in fifth, and that prize goes to Rob Gilbert on 57 okay. points. Oh, that is a good result. Now, in fourth place was myself on six on 66. Now, it was very, very tight for second and third. And it was just really, really minor. It went with one point. But Willem came in with 74 points. So he finished third. And in second place was Edge. Wow. So, Del Boy Derek. Whoa. Del Boy Derek. And I, and I need from to put WTFN, some, I want to put some con- context. ITN journalist. 
passionate Arsenal man. Um, he's going to have his first child with his beautiful wife, Sarah, in the next few months. I wonder what he will consider as one of the, the crowning glories of his career um, when he hears this news. Well, what blew me away was in Group A, 18 points. In Group B, 18 points. So 18 is the maximum. Max, because he's yep. got the all right and the six bonus. Plus the bonus. In Group C, three. So he had a nightmare in three. And then in Group D, as we've already mentioned, he had four. In Group E, he had six. And then he came back to his best with another one of 18 in Group F. He then goes and was the only person in... Well, we'll just talk about the quarterfinals. Quarterfinals, Edge was 15. Um... What did yeah, quarterfinals was 15, uh, Rob was 21, Dino was 21, and Willem was what was 11. Oh, what happened there? Well, I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> so bottom line is Del Boy, he ended up with drum roll, and this is the drum roll. 106 points. My God, that is an outstanding result. Blowing it away. See, that's why we only get the very best pundits on this program. That's exactly right. And that's why Derek was invited to come along, because we knew the pedigree of the man himself. He knows football. He certainly does. Okay, so, uh, gentlemen, congratulations, Derek. Big round of applause. Yeah, well done, Delboy. Well done. Well done. It's uh, it's a huge effort. Um, He'll be back in the show soon. And, uh, mate, I don't know whether I want him making predictions about the Premier League. Well, we're all going to be doing it again very soon. All right, well, we better get him involved. There's the rating champion. He'll hate that. Oh, he'll be bleeding when he hears that. Hang on. Yeah, Derek's a a contributor. He's not (laughs) a regular. No, no, he is. He's a regular now. Well done. All right, boys, we better wrap it up. Nigel, thank you for... uh, some unique, uh, brilliant work on the buttons. Um, Dina, till yeah, next week. Yeah, looking forward to it. We may be not here, but... Maybe not, but might, might be able to call Willem, it. you hold the camp. Welcome we'll back. Do. Cheers, Rob. And uh, dear listeners, join us back next week when we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the World Game on Box to Box.